0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Last week, athlete Trevor Kennison and Level 1 founder and director Josh Berman came to Western Colorado University for another edition of our Blister Speaker Series there. And this was really fun and pretty unique in that, as you savvy Blister Podcast listeners know, we just had Trevor and Josh on the Blister Podcast a few weeks ago to talk to Trevor and Josh for the first time about Trevor's broader story and this multi-year film that they have been working on together. So if you haven't listened to that conversation from a few weeks ago, you don't have to do it first but you're definitely going to want to listen to it either before or after you listen to today's conversation and so we will include a link to that conversation in the show notes of this episode but then what we did at western is we actually showed the audience the opening 10 minutes of the film which are pretty incredible and given just how multifaceted and interesting. Trevor's own story is and the whole story around this film full circle, well, there still was a whole lot of meat left on the bone, as they say, beyond our first conversation. And as we do at our Blister Speaker Series events, we always turn the microphones over to the audience. And once again, Our audience asked some really good questions, and that took our conversation into some other places as well. And as you can tell from our first conversation with Trevor and Josh, Trevor really has become one of my favorite athletes in the world, in any sport. And this film that Josh directed really does an incredible job, both at capturing the mind-blowing nature of what Trevor is doing out on snow, while also really doing a nice job in capturing not only Trevor's story, but telling a much broader story beyond that too. And so with that, enjoy this second round of conversations with Trevor Kennison and Josh Berman from the campus of Western Colorado University right here in Gunnison, Colorado. Here we go. So, we just had a chance to watch the opening of Full Circle. And now we get to talk to Trevor and Josh about that day. Trevor, seeing that again, where does that moment stand or rank for you? Because you've done by now kind of so many, like pretty mind blowing things i don't imagine you carry around a notebook like ranking out all the stuff you've done but like is it is that now like i know that's that's pretty mellow or are you still like that that's still kind of feels like an all-timer where does that rank who's watched the movie so
1: far in here put up put put your hand up one two all right sweet um no it's uh yeah you guys will have to go see the whole movie but uh I would say that's probably top three, you know, my th- on the third um, in the movie that I did a couple other things, um, which, you know, I, I can save for the movie or we can talk about. What do you what do you think? We'll save it. We'll save it. But um, but yeah, I'd say top three for sure.
0: And I still can't get over. I mean, I've, I've watched that many times now. But having like Travis Rice come be your hype man as you're doing something, I don't know that too many folks in the world, one have Travis genuinely nervous, but then two are like, all right, man, you got this. Like that I think in and of itself has to, you know, mean something in like life rankings, life achievements.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you can see in that film, um, Travis grabs the back of my coat and I have full trust in Travis. I'm like, all right, like, cause if he lets me go, I'm going right over and, uh, yeah, for me to, like, put all my trust, I mean, it, I'm like, oh, it's Travis Rice. like, of course, trust him. Um, so, you know, I was very thankful for him to, like, run up to me and just give me the guidance and just uh, support and just even more confidence to, you know, succeed, uh, sexfully, successfully uh, hit the couloir. So.
0: I don't think I would have had full trust in Travis, by the way, because he's bringing you right to the edge, right to the edge. And so...
1: I've hung out with him a handful of times after, um, you know, just through some GoPro trips, and that guy is a crazy guy, crazy guy. Every line, he's always like, oh, let me me climb to this and jump off of this, and I'm just like, all right, what's the easiest way down?
0: (laughs) Josh, in terms of the filming of that event, when did this, for you, first kind of come into conversation? Like, this might be, like, what what about sending Corbett's at Kings and Queens?
2: So I wasn't even there for it. I didn't shoot anything at the actual event. I was given a heads-up probably two weeks before it happened that Trevor was going to go there and I had another trip on the, on the books at that point and I couldn't rearrange things and uh, regardless like I, I didn't want to show up and, and feel like I was stepping on the toes of everybody that would be there because obviously there was a massive media crew assembled and they all know what they're doing. Uh, I mean, little did I understand at that point, like what a monumental day that would be for, for Trevor and for, well, the following four years of my life really. But, uh, yeah, I had no idea. Uh, and then we, we did actually, um, end up having to go back to Jackson and do a a little recreation of the morning because obviously there are a hundred cameras up at the actual venue, but nobody was following Trevor around. Nobody was in the parking lot with him. So. All of that we had to do three years later. And if you do watch the film, look closely. The jacket that Trevor is wearing right up into the point where he shows up at the top of the venue is actually a, a small. And uh, schmier. A schmier. <laughs> And because we had to rebuild the kit. He had long since given away the goggles, the helmet, like everything that he was actually wearing that day. Um, and the, the sit ski cover didn't actually match, so I had to go to United at the Denver airport and get some fragile stickers, and we put them on, and we had to scrape them up a little bit, and and then just, like, zip them into this little tiny coat. Big man in a
1: little coat. Yeah. Fra- <laughs> fragile stickers.
0: <laughs> One last question specifically on Corbett's. Like, we've talked to a ton of mountain sport athletes, right? And A big topic that comes up is, you know, for especially people filming like serious lines and stuff they haven't sent before that whole question of like, what is the mindset like the day of and when do you proceed and when do you say something spidey senses tingling today is not the day. There was no part of you that day that was like, maybe not, maybe, maybe not, maybe we don't need to straight like straight line into Corbett's?
1: Um, yeah, that day, I think it was, I always say, you know, if you're not feeling it, if you're mentally not feeling it physically, if the snow's not there, um, you know, just all these elements that are, you know, out of your control just aren't lining up, then don't do it. But I think on that particular day, it was just, you know, I had to had to go out and perform. But It was more so that night before um, on, so I arrived Sunday to the athlete meeting and then Monday, you know, I went out and free skied, had another athlete meeting and they told us it was the next day. So I think that night, I just mentally prepared myself and watched like people hitting Corbett's million times, like again and again. And I had all my stuff laid out, but I think I did, um, you know, just try to memorize like what I needed to do and just going up the top and um, knowing it was like my moment, but not even my moment, but like moment to go. But I just remember sitting in the cabin and they were like, oh yeah, it's, they're on athlete number seven. So I'm like, rust, like hustling to get out there. And as you can see, the, like, the top of Corbett's was just so windy. And so I get there and they're like, oh yeah, we're on athlete number three right now. And so I like had to sit sit at top for like an hour and a half, for, like before I hit it. There was no hiking back up to the. Well, there yeah. was no hiking, <laughs> so I was like stuck there, and I was like nervous if I went down I would miss it, you know, and get get warm again. But uh, so yeah, I just like watched everyone hit it, and um, yeah, when I, when it was my time, I just you know uh, calculated risk, you know, saw exactly what was gonna go wrong, you know, got it out of my head, and then. I closed my eyes and memorized like seven, eight times, and then I did my breath work, and then when it was go time, it was go time. I wish I was a little bit further out uh, so I didn't get that massive double bounce, but um, I'm just very glad, as you saw in that video, I pulled off and everyone must have thought, like, what is this kid doing up here? um you know he's probably crazy but you know Travis and I were on the same page you immediately I was just like oh I I need more speed I need more speed you can hear him he's like yeah that's a good idea good idea and we bring bring me back to the top and you know reset and I think I had everyone going at that moment but in the back of my head I just knew I knew what I needed to do and you know reset and we did it and it was honestly the coolest feeling for sure
0: the three of us talked a couple weeks ago now so that's a blister podcast episode y'all can check that out i'm really curious to hear a little bit what life has been like for each of you since we had that conversation because we kind of talked and then it seems like y'all just went on a pretty serious streak for the premieres of this film opening up in new york in la etc How, how's life
2: life is hectic <laughs> uh, my wife wishes that i was home more so yeah, right after the podcast, we, we headed out to New York City. We did our theatrical opening uh, in the East Village, which was a really cool experience. And uh, we were there for three days, I think, doing some Q&As post uh, rallied back to Denver. We had a media event Thursday of last week. We had our Denver opening Friday of last week. Saturday morning, we got up and flew to LA. We had our theatrical opening. Um, in Santa Monica, did a bunch of Q and A's Saturday, Sunday, and then a Monday, so yeah, two days ago, holy cow. Um, took Trevor to NBC Universal Studios where he did a bit with Access Hollywood, which will be out, I think, in a couple weeks. So stay
1: tuned for that.
2: But yes, it's been, it's been super hectic and a wild ride, but a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's been extremely busy. Uh, prior to, I guess, before we talked, I was down under skiing. It was super, super fun. I was in Australia for like six weeks, saw a bunch of kangaroos, and then we, when we got, or when I got back, um, it was like game time. We went uh, to New Hampshire before that, um, yeah, and then just kind of just been all over for the theatrical release. So it's been it's been hectic, but super fun.
0: So while I assume everybody in this room has a pretty good handle on your story, I want to at least touch. You know, we can move kind of quickly through a bit um, just to maybe orient people, uh, somebody who might be a bit newer to this. By now, you probably have a pretty dialed version of life before 2014 and kind of what happened. And, and then I want to kind of dive in for some of our time um, to some questions that we didn't talk about, you know, in our last conversation. So for anybody who might somehow not still know, what, what is a little bit of the story here?
1: Yeah, uh, life before my injury, I was living in Vail, or Eagle, Colorado. I was a snowboarder and I was a plumber. Absolutely loved it. And that's basically how I moved out here. Um, and then after my injury, um, I was snowboarding on Vail Pass. I hit a kicker, um, caught an edge right off the jump, and I was flying through the air like a Superman. I tucked my neck and I didn't want to land on my neck, so I ended up landing right on my back like a taco and um, laid in the snow for about three hours. Um, I heard a loud pop and I was trying to be optimistic, thought I broke my hip. Um, I ended up shattering T11, T12 of my vertebrae and then punctured my spinal cord and dislocated my back 90 degrees into my stomach. And it was not a great feeling at all, Um, (laughs) that's for sure. Um, But yeah, I uh, I did that for Let's see, I laid up in the snow for three hours and then I started sit skiing about probably a year after my injury and started, I went, my first day was at, Cre- or sorry, uh, Aspen Snowmass. And I did like a half day there, it was awesome. And then came down here at Crested Butte through a, uh, Craig Hospital on a week long trip and absolutely fell in love with it. And yeah, kind of got my start here at Crescent Butte. Yeah.
0: We're, we're heading up there later tonight, tomorrow morning. I. I'm really looking forward to walking outside with you and just seeing what the emotions are like kind of coming back to that to that spot that uh was a pretty significant part of the of the story, which is um, turns out it's a pretty good story so that's some of the backstory. What I wanted to talk a little bit more about tonight was. And I want to get Josh weighing in on this too, because Josh actually said in our last conversation, like full circle is not really a ski film. And I'm like, okay, except it might be the best ski film of the whole year. So, but it might not be a ski film. Um, But I think what Josh meant by that is that you, anyone watching this, you'll start um, getting into and thinking about questions of identity And questions of, um, which I always think when I come do these speaker series things, when you're a college student, you're trying to figure out what's the rest of your life going to look like. Sometimes we develop these pretty strong opinions and ideas of like, I'm going to do this once I graduate, or I'm going to go to this grad school or have this job or live in this place. And life just, one thing you're about to learn, if you haven't at some point already, best laid plans, right? Right. Things are going to alter and get altered, whether you like them or not. And so I guess I will throw this to Josh. I mean, when you say Full Circle is not a ski film, and I do stand by it is some of the best skiing you're going to see of any film this year. I take it that's a bit of what you meant, like these bigger issues that just hit for, for literally any human being, whether you've ever spent a day on snow or not
2: yeah so it's definitely not a ski film and actually I'll, I'll mention really quickly that uh, you know Trevor came into this process with a bunch of pretty wild goals for action that he wanted to shoot and uh, I obviously wanted to do everything I could to, to support those goals and so we did spend a lot of time and resources shooting with him all over North America for the better part of what two and a half three years um, and as you will see. Or you could actually watch in the trailer. Like there's a whole bunch of wild stuff that we kind of sprinkle throughout the trailer as far as the things that Trevor did. Uh, it, it became an interesting challenge for me to work that into the film in such a way that all of the actions served a purpose to deliver some kind of message. It wasn't just like Trevor wants to do something crazy and we go and do it. It was it was all about you know creating a reason behind everything that he did and so that was kind of the challenge that i set out for myself and making sure that the film was really delivering a a bigger message and not just like cool action Uh, but when people ask me what the film is ultimately about i I like to use this phrase that comes up in the film it's called post-traumatic growth and the whole idea the concept it's it's talked about in the film by uh the former head of psychology at craig hospital who happened to be Trevor's psychologist, while well, Trevor was at Craig, and also mm. was uh, was really good friends with Barry Corbett, who's the other figure who is very prominently featured in the film. But the the phrase that that Les shares with us is is post traumatic growth, meaning that you can not only survive an injury or a trauma, but you can grow from it. You can better yourself from that experience and. Ultimately, that became what the film is all about to me. And what's so special about Trevor's story? I mean, he shared a couple of the details that you know he was a plumber by trade before his accident. He was a snowboarder, and sorry, Trev, uh, a pretty mediocre snowboarder at best. Um, you know, definitely he's not.
0: Such a, he's such a jerk. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, Throw me under the
1: bus. No, apparently I wasn't that good. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. Uh,
2: when, when Trevor first came to me, uh, one of the things that really stood out was the fact that he was already accomplishing more post-injury and with his disability than he was as an able-bodied athlete, which was super special. And this is before you know, we did any of the things that really are featured in the film. But you know, he was already riding park and doing backflips and you know, sit-skiing at a really high level better than he snowboarded when he was able-bodied. And so that already like really was interesting to me because he was accomplishing more post-disability than he was uh, as an able-bodied person. And then moreover, what I think is so special about Trevor and his journey and the things that he's accomplishing, he is speaking to so many people, not literally, but figuratively, in in sharing his story and in, in talking about the things that he does, not only in the film, but... Um, you know, just in his day-to-day interaction and his work with High Fives, he's reaching so many people and in, in, in such a, an important way that's so much above and beyond the life that you were leading as a plumber. And I think that that's super special.
1: Yeah, no, uh, what Josh said, I mean, my girlfriend always says this too, this movie's so relatable but unrelatable in the way of, you know, yeah, I'm in a wheelchair and I have to push around, but, you know, some people might use their legs to walk around, you know, and... Um, there's a quote in the movie, you know, when I when I ski or sit ski or when someone snowboards or does any of that, you have to adapt. And when I do it, I adapt a little bit more. So I think for me, it was just like um, What Josh was saying too, it touches on so much more than just skiing. You know, just uh, in life aspects, and um, you know, it talked about drug addiction and um, you know, mental health. You know, just all these things that you know anyone can uh, take away from it. Which is, um, I think, extremely powerful. So.
0: And that, I mean, I think people see you now, meet you now. You are this upbeat guy. The minute any of us actually meet you, we're like meeting a freaking superhero. But one of the things that's really great and important, I think, about the film is it—it it doesn't shy away from the the hardships, the difficulties, the depression, right? So less anybody is confused about this. It's, this isn't a story where like magically Trevor's just more cheerful and upbeat than the rest of us. Like you went through it, you went through it. And I just, I guess I want to piggyback on this because I do think it's such a powerful part of the story for any of you sitting there in case you're like, well, yeah, but chances are, I won't ever, you know, have a super serious spinal cord injury you are going to have disappointments in your life. And I think one of the most powerful things, and I still, I was telling Josh, I still work on this almost every single day, right? Some, you get some email, something you were really had, a project, you had your heart set on, right? Isn't going to happen. And you get real mad or upset, pissed off. And it's like, I think so much of life, to live life well, is to think, all right, what is the opportunity here, right? Rather than just, you know, and it's hard, it's really hard work, but rather than just go into a spiral of depression or assume life is over or assume that that vision you might've had or I might've had this one thing, that was it. If that door closes, the whole key or a huge key, I think of being successful in any life is that ability to pivot and find the next thing find the next opportunity and i think this um as much of any film and as any human being story that i've encountered i think this is one of the best reminders of that and this is stuff that just comes down to like you want to do life better or kind of be worse at life you know and and so it's really nice to see, to be able to say this to you in person, both of you, like, this is one of those really powerful reminders for me. And I know that it, it, it is having that effect on the people who see this and follow your story and the rest. That's a big freaking deal, man. Yeah, no, thank you so
1: much, man. And, you know, just touch base on what you just said. Um, you know, everyone, um, might be a spinal cord injury, but it might not even be something as major as that. You know, like you said, going through disappointment in life, um, you know, just how you how you approach it and how you take it. You know, you could fall down on the ground and it's like, oh man, it's, you know, it might be me a corny saying, but it's how you get back up. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, my wheelchair is so visible, but everyone out there deals with something mentally or, you know, physically, or just something that you can't see. Um, you know, so like you said, yeah, I do some crazy things, but, uh, the movie definitely shows that I'm a real person, just like anyone else. Um, everyone has their ups and downs and, um, it's just what you, what you choose and how you pivot, um, from what you just happened.
0: So. Josh piece in this film together, when did all of these pieces kind of come together? All these themes, did it continue to evolve over the several years of filming or did it Okay, he's nodding yes. I'm going to let you take it away from there.
2: Yes. So the, the short version of a long story, Trevor came to me in the fall of 2019 with an idea for a short film. It was going to be five minutes long, 10 minutes long. He wanted to go back to Veil vale Pass, which is in the film, and he wanted to do a single backflip in his sitzki. And that was the idea for, for the project. And you know, obviously the concept of going back to the site of so much trauma Um, in in doing something special was was a really powerful story. And so I I signed on and Trevor and I started working together. But um, as soon as I started spending time with him, I knew that there was more to the story. There was more, Trevor deserved more. I didn't know what it was, but his his energy, his charisma, his smile, his laugh, like, are just super compelling. Trevor happens to be one of the people that, one of the people that just puts off an energy that makes you want to be around him and that's something that I picked up on immediately so we didn't know what we were doing we just knew we were going to do something and uh, a couple months into the project we learned about Barry Corbett who is the namesake of Corbett's Kluar obviously Uh, and and this is about I don't know 14-15 months after Trevor showed up in Jackson and aired into Barry Corbett's Couloir. And Trevor had no idea who Barry was or what his story was. And um, somebody shared with me the fact that Barry um, was actually a spinal cord injury survivor uh, with a remarkably similar injury to Trevor's. And we talk a lot about it in the film. But Barry was in a helicopter crash in May of 1968, also in the Colorado backcountry, not too far from where Trevor's accident was. Barry barely survived, and ended up in a wheelchair. And um, if you were a spinal cord injury survivor in the late 60s, this is pre-ADA. This is pre-modern technology as we know it today. You're handed a, a clunky piece of shit wheelchair and they warehoused people back then. They put them in homes. They didn't they didn't know how to treat them they didn't know how to create opportunities they didn't know how to support disability in the ways that fortunately we do now to certainly a better degree and um barry prior to his injury was also a world-class explorer adventurer climber he was on the first u.s expedition to the top of everest he was the first to climb the two highest peaks in antarctica i mean so we're talking like a, a superhuman basically and Uh, Barry was handed this this wheelchair and and was not willing to accept what society dictated as far as expectations for life post-injury. And Barry in the spinal cord injury community accomplished more than he did in in the climbing and outdoor sport communities, which is pretty crazy. And he uh, redefined people's understanding of what a disability was and he made films he wrote books he was the editor of uh, a magazine called new mobility magazine which is like the the, the rolling stone of the disability community and uh, i mean barry i like to say really built the foundation that allowed people like trevor and trevor to continue to redefine what was possible in all the years since and yeah so i mean that's actually the film in a nutshell but we had no idea what we were getting into and, and that's I guess to the short answer to your question is that uh, this really happened very organically we started out with this little tiny goal of a short web film and it kept growing and growing and growing and it was one, one of those situations where every time we turned over a rock we were shocked at what we found under it and um, yeah here we are four years later with a 105 minute
0: long film. I got to do this. I got to go back for a second to, you know, Josh's mean comment, right? That you were just maybe like a mediocre snowboarder, but but you were also, you were just getting, you'd spent some time snowboarding, but you were kind of just getting back into it. So honest answer, do you think if the spinal cord injury hadn't happened, are you like, man, I was going to be actually real good on a board?
1: Uh, No, I was want to be a plumber and open on my own business by 26. So that's what I wanted to do. That's
0: really where your focus was. You weren't like, I'm I'm, I'm uh, a plumber now, but I'm like, I'm going to be a pro snowboarder. Yeah.
1: So I grew up, uh, my dad had a skateboard shop and a snowboard shop in like the mid or mid 80s when they first came out. So when I was born in 92, I was on a snowboard and uh, when I was like two or three. So for me, that was kind of just like the gist of it, and then my parents got divorced when I was seven, six, seven. Um, So we didn't have much money to get to the resort. So I didn't snowboard for like a good 10 years. And then after high school, I didn't really get into college and then became a plumber. And I kind of was just stuck in my hometown, not loving what I was doing, and then moved out to Colorado and uh, I was full-time plumber. And then I skied like, or snowboarded like 60 something days that year. So okay. I, I just like fell in love with it and was just like, it was just a hobby for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be a plumber.
0: <laughs> so we didn't really cover this in our previous conversation. You, you've already said here. And so then you, you know, you got in a Sitski. by the way, shout out to Colleen, right? We like yeah. Colleen. You're, yeah, I love Colleen. Yeah, uh, uh, adaptive instructor here in, in, at the Adaptive Center in, in Crested Butte. But when did, when did it kind of click for you? Like, huh, I love this sit skiing thing. I'm back on the mountain. I'm gonna go do some audacious stuff. I guess, so my,
1: I, oh, I don't even know, man. I would say my stepbrother, um, when I was in Aspen that first year, he would work nights and meet me every morning at like 8.30. I'd have a couple beers in my pocket. We'd go on the lift and go ski. Uh, for like three hours, he'd go home and pass out, and then I'd either have ski practice or ski racing practice, or I would just go free ski. And I think that first year I skied 100 days, and I think that was the turning point, and I was like, I I love this. I'm not gonna just ski race for two hours and go home. I'm gonna spend my whole day on the mountain. And then I would say that second year, you know, I kept ski racing, but Um, I followed my brother-in-law in in the park and just side hits and stuff. And I think that was the the point where I really was just like, this is what I want to do. And then Roy said, not yet. And I kept ski racing. And then I ended up doing Corbett's. And that's kind of when I, or actually I went out to Japan in 2019 with my sister and hit this big cliff. And that was just like, this is it, man. This is all I want to do. And Um, you know, I think for me, it was like that whole travel aspect too. you get to see all these cultures and, uh, the food and see how people live. Um, and then it was like, oh yeah. And then the skiing on top of that. So I think that was like such a special part about the free skiing aspect.
0: All right. I still think, you know, there's been like, there've been like tests done on Alex Honnold's brain. Have you seen some of this? Like, he just doesn't, he doesn't respond to, like, sketchy situations like the rest of us do. And, like, he keeps this calm. i We haven't put a brain scan on you. Have I don't you? like heights.
1: I'm not a big fan okay, of heights. So. If there's snow, I'll, I'll hit the heights, but...
0: Okay.
1: Don't put my wheelchair at the edge of a cliff. That'll scare the shit out of me. I mean, <laughs> with, that's how this
0: film unless opens. Right, right. Unless he yeah, Right. Yeah. yeah. Our, our Lord and Savior, Travis Rice, will, will save us. I do think if Travis had let you go off that lip, he would have, like, gone after you. <laughs> I, do, I do actually think that would have happened.
1: Yeah, but I, I could have seen that.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, I think that we do maybe need to get that brain test. Because I, I think... Just again, if you see the whole film or watch the trailer and see some of the stuff that 's happening, like I think that is one of the as as Travis says, the paradigm shifting notions um, none of us in this room are probably doing any of the stuff, any of the stuff that the guy that normally it's like oh disabled who 's disabled here like i'm i 'm not doing any of it, right. And I think that that's what, it's a beautiful term, that paradigm shifting notion. Um, you know, as, as, we, as we keep talking about um, in kind of mountain sports and outdoor culture, being more inclusive, one of those things is when we do have those paradigm shifts and realize people might be getting down a mountain um, in an adaptive mountain bike or in a sit ski, but now just understanding very much, they might have more passion for the sport than me or you or you, right? Those things I think are really, really compelling. And again, while as you said, some of the stuff you're doing fully unrelatable, it is definitely got the ability to like shift those paradigms. And that just seems like a beautiful thing to right happen. Um, Kind of in snow sports and beyond. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, without a doubt. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it gives. uh, In the movie, it says, or Casey Dean says, you know, he's not just an adaptive athlete; he's an athlete, you know. And um, whether you are an adaptive athlete or able-bodied or not, you know, we're uh, adapting anyways to put on our ski boots and skis and snowboard and um, my sit ski, you know. So. That's like, you know, inclusion. It's like, how can we all just, you know, just do it together, you know, regardless of, you know, having a label or anything. And then, um, you know, as long as you're sliding on snow, that's the best feeling. Best feeling.
0: (laughs) This question might be a, a bit too early because there's still a lot more people to see the full film. But I am curious about some of the, the initial reactions so far, or and, and feel free to say it, that might still be kind of to come, but as more adaptive communities see this film, as more skiers, snowboarders, everybody sort of sees the film, where do you see this going, or what kind of feedback have you gotten already josh
2: so i I think i 'd point out that so much of what Trevor has accomplished is Are things that have never been done before and for me that's super exciting because he's sharing all these first with the adaptive community first and foremost and i think that it is allowing other sit skiers other other people with disabilities big or small to be able to look at the things that trevor is doing and feel like they can go out and do them too not necessarily hit hundred foot cliffs or double backflips or whatever but It gives them a different understanding of what's possible. I think of the the people that were learning to sit ski five years ago before Trevor and actually rewind like a decade before Josh Duick, who I believe was the first to do a backflip in a sit ski um, before he even did what he accomplished and there wasn't an understanding of the fact that somebody could do that and my hope is that Trevor is like unlocking if not the next level, I think it's, it can be a personal thing, whatever the next level is for you. And so I think that's, that's very exciting. And I think for the able-bodied community, it's, it's forcing people to take another look at their impression of disability and what people are out there doing, because let's be honest, the things that Trevor is doing are above and beyond what you're Average or even really good skier is yeah. is accomplishing, and it's funny because we'd go out to some of these heli operations that we worked with, and the guides are freaking terrified. Like, oh, uh, we we need three guides on on in the heli for this, and we need to do this and safety precautions, this and this, and that's all fine and dandy and super important because safety is paramount. But it was really cool to see everybody's eyes opening to what Trevor was was capable of and you know changing people's perspectives. And I'd like to think that the film accomplishes that too.
0: All right. We've talked around this and I read a book some years ago that still really sticks with me. The book was called Stumbling on Happiness by a professor at Harvard. I believe his name is Daniel Gilbert. And um, the, the premise of the book is basically, we are really, really bad at predicting what will bring us happiness. And it's data, like study after study, all this data on this front. And it's kind of fascinating, right? Because if you said like, what is the one thing actually all of us are probably trying to do in life is like, I don't know, be happy, but we're real bad at it. And I want to just put this question to you. You are You are living now this astonishing life. And a question that kind of arises in stumbling on happiness is, you know, what happens when somebody has this um, kind of crux event in in his or her life? Um, The question to you is, would you say, can you say, are you actually glad that the spinal cord injury happened? Or is that a bridge too far to talk about, you know, you're glad, but but we've you've already said well, like you were living a pretty, um, I don't know, straightforward existence before the accident. Your life doesn't seem straightforward or sort of mundane like in any level now.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And uh, before my injury, I was a plumber and all you need to know is shit rolls downhill and paydays on Friday. And that was the life I was living. Absolutely loved it. And I didn't you know, think anything else, uh, what else to do with my life. You know, I was happy, I had a girlfriend, I was going to the gym, all this stuff. And then after my injury, you know, it was like um, you're living a completely different life. And um, Josh took me to the injury spot before we did the double backflip and then after, and I never like swore at that spot or anything. Um, and then going back to it after, it you know I couldn't stop smiling. I mean, in the sense of you know I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change that spot. I wouldn't change my injury. Um, just all the amazing people I have met, all the amazing things I've got to see. Um, you know, just like anyone else, it's been an up and down journey, um, and a lot of hard work. You know, you can achieve achieve anything. Um, I heard this thing yesterday, which is like super, you know, uh, put put life in perspective. It's like, you know, if today would you get a ten million dollars if you know you wanted to? And it's like the answer is yes or no. And if you answer yes, but here's the here's like the the turn on it. It's like you're not living tomorrow. And everyone says no, you know, to that answer. And it's like, oh wow, Like your, your life is worth way more than a lot of money, you know? So, you know, what is happiness? It's, you know, everyone's happiness is different. Um, but, you know, after my injury, you know, there's times where, you know, I contemplated suicide, but it's like, I'm so glad I didn't, you know? I'm so glad I'm living this life. And, um, you know, definitely life is perspective. And I think everyone, uh, if you change your perspective a little bit, uh, gets, such a different outlook on life.
0: In Stumbling on Happiness, Gilbert presents all of this information, study after study, where people who have had extremely life-altering injuries, they're asked this question. um, Are you glad this happened? If you could go back in time and have it not happen, would you? And the vast majority of people say, this injury was the best thing to ever happen to me. And reading that book, I, I, it was, we have all the data, all the studies. I was like, I still don't believe that. You and this film is the first time I think I've ever actually been like, I think I'm starting to believe this more, right? First of all, what an arrogant and stupid you know, opinion. Like, just don't believe the people who are all reporting on this. There's a problem there. Um, but I think again why I find such a power in the film and in your story is it it puts it connects all the dots on this front back to you know what is possible um you just said so well change your perspective you know um go find the new your new passions the new things that you can do well and pursue those with all your heart you know and um so anyway, thank you. I, no, thank I you. was holding on to that question the first time we talked. I wouldn't
1: change it for real. I wouldn't be sitting up here with all you. So really thankful.
2: One thing to chime in real
0: quick. Uh, Trevor, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but uh, Ooh, sure. yeah.
2: uh, a good friend of mine from high school once said that she felt that the ultimate measure of wealth and success in life is, is by the number of lives you touch and impact. And that is something that is always stuck with me and yeah and and you know jonathan you and i were talking about this a little earlier today and i feel that the number of lives that trevor is reaching and touching and the, the number of people that he's positively impacting by sharing his story i mean we're talking millions of people at the end of the day um and i think that that's just that that really says something and yeah I'll leave it at that.
0: Just hang on. All right, sir. Thanks for coming out here, man, and thanks for doing everything that you're doing. You've been a pretty huge inspiration to me, and definitely a big influence on my ability to send bigger and just keep getting better at what I love to do. Um, I really just want to know, like, at the at the top of orbits or at the top of any rock that you're at, you know, what's going through your head and how are you hyping yourself up to you know, get
1: early. Yeah, yeah uh, great question. My girlfriend told me to practice this word, so bear with me. A lot of visualization. Yeah. Uh, a little bit better, you know. <laughs> week by week. But uh, that's what I would say. Uh, I, I play my music. Some people like music, some people don't. But, uh, you know, you look at what you're doing, you calculate risk in the sense of, like, if a tree's on the left or the right, you look at it all right, you know, if it's going to go wrong, this is where it's going to go wrong. Um, and for me, once you, you know, you memorize that, you get it out of your head, and then you go execute exactly what you need to do. Um, and then I do, like, breath work, uh, close my eyes and vis- visualization, visualize it. <laughs> and then, uh, awesome. yeah, yeah, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, you know. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's basically where I'm at. And then... Um, Yeah, I would say breath work, that way you can get into that flow state. And then, uh, yeah, and then send it. (laughs) And send it safe. Always wear a helmet, helmets are cool. Actually one thing that I'd kind of point out too, interesting
2: thing, working with Trevor um, versus able-bodied athletes that can so easily speed check and hike back up and check their speed again and like kind of test things out or like roll through the tranny of a jump and, and just all the things that are the normal like prep work before An able-bodied person does something trevor doesn't really have the ability to do that and so i would point to you know he mentions visualization as being a key thing and like it shocked me like what he was able to to really accomplish in his head to figure things out without the ability to go and like suss them out physically because you know you just have to like pull that from the equation and and then trevor would go and like stomp something first time and it's just yeah So I'd say to Trevor's point of like the power of visualization, it was like something that really stood out to me throughout the process of working with him. And I think just speaks to like, yeah, what's going on in this kid's head is pretty impressive.
0: You kind of touched on how you fell in love with sit skiing. Would you say you like sit skiing more than you did snowboarding?
1: Uh, It's different. I can't hike with sit skiing, unfortunately. I miss that about snowboarding, but, Man, I mean, this is what I get to do all the time now, and I'm absolutely loving, and thankful for that. Um, You know, before my injury, I didn't snowmobile. Um, And then I guess the only difference is really being in the trees. You know, when I was on my snowboard, I could just like pin it through the trees and, you know, just throw it sideways. I'm like, oh, I'm stopped. And on the sit ski, it gets a little sketchy, especially with the shock. And uh, you know, you can turn it sideways, but then I got a 191 length ski turning sideways in the tree and it's, it gets sketchy. But uh, yeah, I would say I, I think I, I love sit skiing more than I did snowboarding. Can you uh, speak
2: to the aspects of uh, the outdoor industry becoming more accessible and like how you've seen that as, um, you know, before your accident and like after and things like that?
1: Yeah, I guess uh, before my accident, I wasn't really too um, aware of the disability community. Um, I didn't really have friends in a wheelchair, you know, blind or anything of that sort. So I guess for me, I didn't really notice, but after my injury, um, I would say I definitely noticed it a handful, um, just depending on where you go. The more people like want to, are willing to help you out and all that. But man, I, I mean, that's a great question. I would say, man. I don't know. I would say I couldn't imagine living 20 years ago when there wasn't, you know, the adaptive sports center over here in Crescent Butte or um, NSCD in Winter Park. You know, I I couldn't imagine just not having these uh, programs. So I guess for me, since being in a wheelchair past nine years, I've seen the accessibility get a lot better in the outdoors, which, like I said, I don't know any better. But, um, you know, previous 10, 20, 30 years, I know it's, Uh, dramatically have changed, um, which is awesome. Um, Especially with just like accessibility all over. um, Just all over, which is huge. In the technology, um, you know, uh, let's see, I can actually go on, you know, hikes I would say. I have this Bowhead bike, it's called the Bowhead, and it's uh, two wheels in the front, one in the back, and an automatic bike. And you can go out and go single track riding, uh, mountain bike riding with your friends. So, you know, just like you said, from the accessibility, it's dramatically improved because before, like I wouldn't go push my wheelchair just to go on a hike, you know, just so much energy just doesn't make sense. Just a little slope is insanely hard to push up. Um, So just having like the technology um, bring you to certain spots is, it's pretty impressive. And that was just, I think over the past four or five years um, that just came out. So it's definitely a game changer.
0: So, hi, my name is John Terry. I am the uh, Director of the Center for Disability Accommodation and Advisor,
2: and as well as he's doing associate Director for Vesemont. I'm not, yeah, not everybody. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I've worked for the last eight years within the, the functional area of
0: disability accommodation and disabilities myself. So, so, from your perspective, what are some things that you want to see improved in terms of increasing accessibility in the outdoor industry and what can we do to help support
1: and both up, you who want to gather and have fun live and live. Yeah, um, in the outdoor, you know, having outdoor accessibility, I'm not too sure. I'm actually, uh, my I was a plumber, like I said, but my dream would be to design bathrooms and just like, you know, accommodations like that, just because, it might not be on the outdoors but it could be as simple as just going to the bathroom and not being able to do that in public um you know the door might swing in and it's like man i can't even (laughs) can't even go to the bathroom um but uh, i live in winter park and they just asked me to be on their uh the board of the committee for their accessible uh park that they're trying to put in Um, so it's you know anything i can like slowly get to and give back Um, i just came back from sydney australia and there's this spinal cord injury resort um, right outside. They have, you know, all uh, accessible play- playground um, for kids and everything. It, it's just really, really cool. But I don't know, man. I would just say, oh, well, High Five Foundation is a huge one for spinal cord injury, uh, people that have life altering uh, uh, injuries. Um, and I would say, you know, Supporting people with disabilities and you know fundraisers and stuff like that because as you know um, Once you tack it anything on uh, That's equipment and say disability, you know the the price skyrockets and it's just cr- crazy You know you lose your job you go to disability and it's for me in my in my scenario it's like all right Well, how can I get back to doing sport? And I, I couldn't even get back to doing sport because I was on disability, and a half day for me to go ride in veil was, I think, $600, you know? So I, I was making $600 a month. And yeah, so I, I didn't ski for a year. Um, and then I went to Aspen. So I think, you know, just trying to get involved in programs and, um, you know, not being shy or, you know, saying hi to someone that has a disability. You know, we're all human. Um, just say hi to someone.
0: So you said at 22, um, your goal was to have your own business. What you going now? Like,
1: what's the plan from here? What's your big next step? Yeah, yeah I'm 31 now, um, and let's see. I wanted when I was 26, or before I got injured, I was 22, wanted to own my own plumbing business when I was 26, and then after my injury, I had no clue what I was going to do. I didn't go to school or college or anything. Um, you know I was use my hand so that was like definitely a really really scary transition um, And then you know, just wanting to try to be a professional skier. That was really hard transition to you know putting a lot of work into it but a uh, lot of uh, unknowns, you know going into that but now um, You know definitely want to make a couple uh, action ski films or like parts or whatever and then public speak and Kind of, you know, who knows what life is going to happen next and kind of just take the opportunities as they come. Um, but, yeah, I would love to uh, design bathrooms. I think it'd be so cool.
0: <laughs> you really need to be, like, the official spokesperson for, like, the Plumbers Association. Like, Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> I got a plumber's crack, so I'll go, I'll go good with it. <laughs> So you talked a lot about the trees and then you mentioned the flow state earlier. I just wonder if you could tell us a little more about that and if that has any role for you off the snow as well as on the snow and what that means to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you can find flow state anywhere. Um, You know, I think you just have to mentally get into it. Um, As much as it can be physical, I think it's super, super mental. Um, I always talk about, like, you know, hitting that jump or um, if the snow is not right, the sun's not out, if you're mentally, you're physically not feeling feeling it, I think that all interprets into that flow state. Um, but I really, really think, you know, ment- like visualization and breath work and meditation um, helps so much into that flow state because um, when I'm at the top of a jump and it's just like, I'm not feeling it, you know, like riding, do a couple warm up laps and it's like, all right, I'm not feeling it. And you're like, all right, I can't even find to get into that. And some days it's just hard to get into. And I know as you being a filmer, you know, some athletes, you know, having to perform you know, on camera, like immediately, um, can you speak to that? You know, as you see like some other, like, you know, world, world-class athletes that you've worked with, You know, how do they get into that, you know, flow state when it's just like go time. Here's the camera. Yeah, it's interesting. I think almost every athlete that I've ever
2: worked with has a slightly different approach. And it's actually interesting to see how people turn it on. And some, you know, have a process. Some do not. Some are always on. And then some need to, like, warm up to it. Um, So, yeah, I think everybody has a unique approach to, to getting there. And I've also seen people push through it when they're just, like, not feeling it. And some, yeah, that's that's when you get hurt or, or things just don't
1: quite go according to plan. And for me, Wu-Tang gets me in that flow state.
0: Trevor seems to me more like the athlete that he just flips the switch as opposed to the, like, long, gradual ramping up.
2: Physically, it looks like the the switch is being flipped. But again, I could just go back to... The, the, the mental preparation, the visualization that he's forced to do that's an internal thing rather than the traditional external thing. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's got to be what's going on. And, um, yeah, I mean, when we went back to, to Vail Pass and he ends up, I mean, that's not a spoiler alert because it's online, but, yes, he does the world's first double backflip in a Sitski at the site of his accident. It's the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen in my life. But we spent the better part of five days building this jump by hand, stacking one block after another. And Trevor sat there the whole time. I didn't do anything. I sat there. (laughs) Trevor supervised. More blocks, more blocks. Uh, But I mean, I I can only imagine that, you know, you spent all the time that we were there obviously thinking about what you were going to do and what that was gonna feel like, what it was gonna
1: be like. Yeah, it's crazy how you, like, how you say that, because it's just, I was sitting there for five days just watching each block get built and get stacked across the whole row. And then I just remember on day four or five, but you know, every, every night when I went to bed, I was just visualization, oh, that was good. I visualized it so good, oh, thank you, thank you. I visualized it so good and just like the sense of I knew exactly what I needed to do and what, I, uh, what was gonna go wrong and what was gonna go right. And when he built the last block on top, we looked at each other and it was like, all right, it's go time. And then it was go time the next day. But for five days, you know, I was just sitting there just thinking of how do I hit this, how do I do this? What do I need to do? What corrections do I need to do? And um, yeah. And actually, to, to add to that a
2: little bit, um, some more little behind the scenes stuff. So if you watch the trailer, when you see the film, there is a bomb hole in the landing when Trevor lands the dub. And the story about how that happened, so Trevor did a double backflip and he over-rotated a little bit and that was, that was the first attempt and he, he wrote out of it and it was, you know, it, it counted. It wasn't the prettiest thing ever, but um, the, the response, the reaction from everybody freaking out and Trevor crying at the bottom, that is from that first attempt. That's what we ended up putting in the film because it was, it was, it counted. It, it was close enough. That was the goal that he had set out to accomplish, it, and he did. And we did a little video review at the bottom, and you know, again, it was a backslap. It wasn't perfect. And Trevor watches it and he looks at me. He's like, "Dude, I can get that better. I can clean that up." And so we brought him back up there. And, and what was really interesting, we didn't use anything from the top of the in run from the actual attempt or the the, the successful. Um, second hit because his confidence level is through the roof. Like he's just joking around with everybody up there. When he drops in, he actually turns to the camera operator on a tripod that's halfway down the in run. He goes, watch this baby. And it's just, you know, full confidence level 100. And it's crazy to me because he had one Try at a speed check which was a disaster where he barely got any speed and then he had to like cut off and hit the wall which you know didn't make the film but then he had one like over rotation and between the the data that his brain processed that his body picked up on that he was able to to sort through things with those two you know mediocre you know hits if you want to call them that was able to, to figure out exactly what he needed to do and go back up and do it again. And that's, again, he'd never done a double backflip. He'd never done a double backflip into a foam pit. He'd never done a double backflip on a trampoline. He had never done a double backflip. And you know to work with able-bodied super pros, like a lot of them wouldn't necessarily stomp it first or second try anyway. And they've been doing double backflips hundreds of times over their lives. So. To see what he did and how he adjusted, and um, um, it's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, and a uh, quick backstory of that same thing. I, you know, I came down, I hugged Berman, I cried. It was so emotional, but uh, it was it was so funny because Berman was pissed as shit because one person didn't turn on the camera, so I had to go do it again. Now, I didn't have to, but it was you know a group collective decision that I did it again. And I looked down, I was like. Dude, I think I have enough air time to go for three, because on that first rotation I like set it so hard, and I looked around and I looked on my first ro- uh, flip. I looked and I was like, "Oh man, I'm trying to slow myself down, put my hands up, all this, all this stuff." And uh, once that C sit- starts going, it goes, and I back slap, I come down, and you know it was you know group decision of you know let's go do it again. And like you was saying, I just was up there, felt super. Not I mean, yeah, confident, but in the sense of just like these are the tweaks that I need to make. And um, yeah, if you go on the Instagram, it's pinned up there. I drop in there and I'm like, watch this baby, and just absolutely lay it out and stomp it perfect. Yeah, that's right. It's Actually, so awesome. Trevor Trevor talked me into
2: putting that part of the clip on Instagram, <laughs> even though that part is not in the movie because it's not in the, movie. The, the vibe that we're trying to create at that point is not just like Trevor party mode
1: it's uh it's pretty serious but it was it was a special moment for sure
0: hearing you guys talk through this and talking again about visualization and a lot of a lot of athletes talk about that, right, but you have explained real well there's visualization, and then there's like yo i I can't practice this double into a foam pit and you know come up speed check a hundred times on the jump and like then I'm gonna go for it, and what you got me thinking about is um, Tommy Caldwell, who arguably is the greatest climber of all time, right? Tommy was at a speaker series. Um, he had an injury where he cut off one of his fingers and he talks about, he, he was already a very high level climber prior to that injury, but post injury, he was forced to climb differently. And one of the things that thinking about, tommy talking about that hearing you talk about like this is real visualization you're kind of you've been forced into like really dial that part of your game what i got thinking about is you know we might see somebody um in a wheelchair and maybe for many of us sometimes it's like oh man too bad wonder what happened and you know it's good to be empathetic people and all that jazz but what if we started recognizing the person in that chair or with a walker, they are doing things creatively that they've developed capabilities I don't have, right? To start viewing people that way, right? When, when you said, it'd be like, hey man, go talk to somebody in a chair. Well, if we start breaking down, what is our reluctance or hesitance, hesitation to do that? What if we started thinking like that person's in a chair, that person probably has, I don't know, a hundred things a day that they have creatively figured out problem solving new solutions, new techniques to do things. Sometimes in ways, which you're an example of that you're now doing it probably at a higher level than many athletes talking about their visualization game. That might be one of those things that just helps us, uh, to use travis rice's term like that's part of the paradigm shift um that is kind of exciting to think through that um hearing you go more in depth about why visualization matters more in your situation and you probably do have a heightened capability there yeah
1: i mean it's even even just uh you know everyone's human and it's just like getting in here you know some people might use the stairs and I use the ramp, you know, it's just two different ways to get to the same objective. Um, But, you know, just uh, everyone does it a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. And to appreciate those and be curious about those things and, you know, kind of have that respect of like, this person's doing some things different and, and I might be better at some things and it's almost certain that, that person and that person and that person has developed certain capabilities that I don't have.
1: Yeah, I'm, I don't know if you guys do this, but when I'm on the airplane or driving in a, in a car or going on I-70, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that family does or like what that person does, you know? Like I always like like sit there, find myself so curious about what people do in life, you know, it's, everyone has such a different life and, you know, um, I think everyone's story is super interesting.
0: Josh, tell us where Talking today is the 1st of November. What's happening with the rollout of Full Circle the film?
2: Yeah, so first off, I'd say, please go to the film website, fullcirclefilm.co, and you can see everything that's going on. You can watch the trailer, you can sign up for a newsletter, so you're notified whenever we've got exciting news to share, and we do have a bunch of exciting news coming down the pipeline. But right now, we just kicked off the theatrical release. Uh, I think we're going to be rolling out to 100 cities across the U.S. and Canada over the next couple months, which is pretty exciting for a little independent micro-budget doc. And uh, there will be uh, eventual streaming video on demand release coming in 2024. I can't tell you what platform it is, but it's a good one. So,
0: yeah. It's awesome having you two here. Uh, Really cool to connect with you in person and uh, having you here at Western. And thanks to all of you for, once again, the very good questions. And uh, Trevor and Josh, thank you so much. And can't wait for many millions more people to see this film, get to know your story better. And uh, man, uh, thanks for, for everything you have done and continue to do. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having us, really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone
0: well that's it for this edition of the blister podcast i want to say thanks to trevor and josh for coming back to the gunnison valley it was great having you guys and hanging out here and thanks to everybody who came out to our speaker series especially those who asked such great questions i also want to say thanks to taylor ahern for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening As always, we have a number of excellent new conversations coming at you this week across our various podcast shows, so stay tuned for them, and we will talk to all of you again real soon.